Good evening, Boston. Welcome to BNN News. I'm Faith Maffedon. Thanks for tuning in. In Roxbury, the celebration of Juneteenth filled the streets with music, dancing, and words of uplift. On Monday, Boston celebrated Black Liberation with the Juneteenth Parade and Festival in Roxbury. The Black community and allies came together to ring in the newly designated federal holiday with music, performances, and inspiring words from community leaders at the 13th annual Juneteenth Emancipation Observance. Having survived the brutal horrors of the Middle Passage, the ravages of slavery, the degradation of Jim Crow and racism, we stand as the truest believers in the promise of democracy, despite the betrayal of our national declaration that all men are created equal with unalienable rights. With our blood, we have secured freedom and democracy for this nation, even though we didn't have it for ourselves. Returning to his Roxbury roots for the flag raising outside Dillaway Thomas House was Parade Grand Marshal Boston Ben Haith, designer of the Juneteenth flag that is now inseparable from the holiday. I designed the flag as a result of a childhood memory I had on my Aunt Anna's farm in, in the state of Virginia when I was maybe in the fifth or sixth grade, but it stayed in my mind years later when I'm living here. When I overheard the name again and I did some research, I said, wow, this is, Juneteenth is really important to us. Sharing the colors of the American flag, it features three main components, the arc, a new horizon, meaning promising futures for black Americans, the star, a nod to the Lone Star State of Texas, and the burst, the outline meant to reflect a nova, or new star, which represents a new beginning for all. The African-American community has experienced much tribulation since 1865. So what does Juneteenth mean today? It recognizes uh, the African-American, which we seem to be left out of the history of this country. And that's what it means to me the historical information given to this country of what we endured and what we uh, did for this country. And with the 54th, the men fighting for this country for their right for to participate in what is uh, liberty and pursuit of happiness in this country. Acknowledging my freedom and my people's freedom isn't just an acknowledgement of basic human rights. It's an acknowledgement that we're people at all. And I think that's incredibly important and it's sad that we ever had to fight for that but the liberation the feeling of being liberated is also a fundamental part of what it means to be American when you think about Juneteenth you think about the the liberation of a people but a people that was already freed and now have to be subjected and continue to be enslaved even though there was legal precedent showing that they should be free and I think that that part is certainly a shame we have not reckoned with slavery in this country and we continue to look at it as something that happened and should be forgotten. So when I think about Juneteenth, I think about the celebration of life, the celebration of freedom and liberty. The day was a mixture of joy and reverence with an eye for the future as the Boston Juneteenth Committee recognized leaders of the next generation, such as UMass Boston student, Carrie Mays, 
who accepted the Ralph F. Brown Award for Exemplary Civic Engagement. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. This means so much to me, especially accepting an award from my community to be on the reparations task force, to see so many elders who have led the way and paved the way, civil rights movements, to see a lot of my young people here, my family, my grandmama who picked cotton when she was younger and made herself all the way up to Boston to make a life. I just wanna say thank you so much to my black people. We are the keepers of the culture. And what we have to do, this is the United States of America history. And this gives us an opportunity now to reflect, to educate, to celebrate, but also to move forward. And so it's not even, it's about the children and it's about the children that are not even here yet. So we've got to, we all have to do something to fix this. Next, we head to East Boston, where Navy SEALs and supporters swam for a great cause. For the fifth year, the Frogman Swim honored Navy SEALs who are currently serving and those we have lost. Every year, former and active Navy SEALs and their supporters slip into their wetsuits, put on frog fins, and don their goggles as they brace three miles of cold harbor water to raise funds for their fallen brethren who have served under the Navy SEALs, one of the most elite special operations forces in the world. The annual Frogman 5K open water swim stays true to the Navy SEAL motto to never leave a man behind, and in its fifth year, raised over $215 thousand dollars to support the Navy SEAL Foundation. The bond that's formed either through training, through operations in combat, are bonds in which ultimately are unbreakable. It's that brotherhood that brings us together today and allows us either in peace or wartime to make sure that we're there for one another. Since 2000, the Navy SEAL Foundation has been providing support for active, reserve, and veteran SEALs. Special warfare combatant craft crewmen, known as SWCCS, support personnel and their families. Today is about supporting the Navy SEAL Foundation. The Navy SEAL Foundation supports all of our heroes that are serving overseas or have currently served, and the families of those that have served. So a lot of people come see this as just, hey, it's a, you know, it's a 5K swim in the Boston Harbor, but there's so much more to it. You see these, these Gold Star family members. You have mothers, fathers, brothers, sisters of these fallen heroes that are here, and to show them support that, that their sacrifice will never be forgotten, especially to the family, it means the world to them. They realize it's much more than a swim. It's a dedication, and it's really a journey. And when they come out of that water, they're thinking a little bit different because they just spent all that time and, and effort and misery in the cold water, you know, reflecting on who it is that they're swimming for. They're swimming for the departed. They're swimming for the family members, the Gold Star family members that are out here. Uh, they're swimming for, you know, what Naval Special Warfare and the military and the, and the good old USA is all about. The water was chilly, but nothing could get in the way of supporting those who keep us safe especially those who made the ultimate sacrifice by giving their lives in the line of duty. The proceeds of Sunday's Frogman Swim goes to the Gold Star Service Mothers and all other military personnel connected to our Navy SEALs efforts. None of us parents want our children's sacrifice to be forgotten. These swimmers come from all over 
and they they read the stories about our sons. They swim knowing who our sons are and who they were. And they're honoring our sons for us because we're not able to do that. The Navy SEAL Foundation has created such a bonding in the communities that it's uh, that it participates in and the, the boys, the guys, the girls, all, uh, they have a deep, deep understanding of uh, what parents, Gold Star parents are going through and they want to help in every way they can and uh, it's so important for us as Gold Star parents that we understand that that they love us and are supporting us. A three-mile ocean swim is not for the faint of heart, but these dedicated men and women more than rose to the occasion and accomplished their noble mission. Two weeks ago, BNN News shared the city's recent plan to upgrade several Boston public schools. However, some Roxbury residents are pushing back on the proposal to move the O'Brien School to an entirely new neighborhood. We want the O'Brien to in fact remain where it is and for future reference we're looking for the mayor to get a different viewpoint in terms of her perception as it pertains to how she treats our community. Last Friday members of the Roxbury community showed up in front of the John D. O'Brien School of Mathematics and Science to express their frustration over the proposed plan to move the school to a new site in West Roxbury. Residents of Roxbury and the surrounding neighborhoods feel Mayor Wu's proposal to move the school was one that excluded the voices of community members who fear relocation to West Roxbury would eliminate the rich diversity of its current student body. Moreover, dissenters believe a solution exists to keep the O'Brien building where it is, like Madison Park High, considering its optimal location and space. This is a, an expansive facility here. The uh, Madison Park high building, first of all, it has academic shortcomings, but also in terms of its utilization, there's a lot of space in there that is not even being utilized. And so essentially, they're talking about moving, they said they can expand it from 1,600 students to 2,000 by moving to West Roxbury. They can do that right here. We have architects in our community to be able to come up with a plan for this huge facility to be able to house students from Madison Park and this O'Brien High School. The new facility at the site of the West Roxbury Education Complex needs a significant amount of work before the new state-of-the-art STEM-focused campus is complete. However, residents argue that the funds set aside to complete the project should go towards restoring O'Brien. Because John D. O'Brien was a was a uh, uh, activist in our community, and he also was a member of the Boston Public um, about, uh, the Boston Public School Committee, and he was a fighter in our community. And it doesn't it, it would be an insult and a slap in the black community's face for this school to be moved to West Roxbury, and we're not we're not going to tolerate it. Construction is slated to begin in 2025. Until then, Roxbury residents want their voices heard in keeping a vital exam school within a community of color. 
Last Friday, Donna Summer fans were moving and grooving to classic 70s hits to celebrate the life of the Boston native and disco icon. Roller skates, disco balls, and sequined soul flooded City Hall Plaza as residents put on their boogie shoes to honor the extraordinary disco queen of the 70s, Donna Summer. I love this city and I think it has so much to offer and the arts in Boston is so vast and huge and Donna Summer is just like one of those institutions that means so much to Boston and so much to me. Originally from Mission Hill, Donna Summer is a 70s legend. From her hit singles Hot Stuff and On the Radio to her five Grammy wins, she's been a staple in the disco scene since her first hit single, Love to Love You Baby. Her genre-blending music intersected disco, funk, and soul. And with her arresting voice, her music became the soundtrack for an entire generation. I love Donna Summer. She's a Boston icon. It's such a fun party, all ages, great vibe. Just, I can't say enough good things. Get on down here. Even BNN was swept away by the rhythms as people of all ages got down to the heart-pumping music of the time. Donna Summer sadly passed away in 2012, but her music and influence live on. Her legacy is continued by her close family members, like her sisters, who have held the torch since her passing. Her niece was there to represent her spirit and story, and her sister, Mary Gaines Bernard, gave a riveting performance of Last Dance. For a moment, it was as if Donna was back. I need you. What stays with me is the love that the city has for my family and for Auntie Donna. It's just, it's heartwarming to see everyone come out and just show their love and celebrate her life. Now that she's not with us any longer, you know, her music and, and her legacy will live on. That's what I take away every year. As we celebrate her timeless music and groundbreaking career, we can also be thankful for the strides she made for female artists during a time where they had to fight to get recognition for their music, even becoming the first female black artist to have a music video played on MTV. Her music has become LGBTQ anthems that live on through the new generation of disco fans. Rest in peace, disco queen. As we wrap up Pride Month, we invited Adriana Bolin, president of Boston Pride for the People, the amazing organization behind this year's Pride Parade and Festival, to discuss the parade's success and how they plan to further impact LGBTQ Bostonians. Adriana, you look lovely, and thank you for joining us in the studio today. Thanks so much for having me, Faith. It's a complete pleasure. Uh, I'd love to start with Boston Pride for the People. How did it get started, and what set you all in motion? So Boston Pride for the People started last September 2022, and it was after a year and a half and more of a lot of us coming together and thinking about what are we going to do for Pride in our city? First, it was a number of different groups and coalitions in our, our community, such as 
Pride for the People, which is separate from Boston Pride for the People. Pride for the People were a group of leaders, organizers, and other folks in our community who came together to hold the previous organizers of the Pride in Boston accountable to the communities that they weren't including, the voices that they weren't centering. And when different leaders in the community noticed that what was being called for wasn't being people weren't taking responsibility for that work and um, taking the recommendations that were made, that organization dissolved and many different leaders came up and created efforts and throughout the year there were efforts like pop-up pride that was organized by a few members of pride for the people and members of now boston pride for the people so our start um, after pop-up pride i remember fondly going to the group and I'm, i participated as a speaker in there and i said it was so amazing what we did and I'm, I want to get together, like let's all get together and move forward planning for next year. That's incredible and we're, we're so glad that you're here. And what are some of the core values of Boston Pride for the People? We have four principles. The first is commemoration and it's to honor the lives of those lost and risked for a lot of the freedoms that we experience now as members of the LGBTQ plus communities. So we want to honor the work um, and um, everything that was sacrificed for us to be able to have parades and festival like we do today. The second is educate. We do have freedoms that people lost their lives for and risked their lives for for us to live today. And there is so much more that needs to be fought for. Our trans and gender diverse community are under attack. Our youth are under attack. People are trying to seek gender affirming care. People are trying to be their human selves. There is a lot of work to be done in our community and other communities. And the first way to make that change is to be aware that the change needs to be done. So in addition to commemorating the work that's been done, we also want to educate people on the work that still needs to be done. And for the work to be done, the third value, empower. People need to feel empowered. They need to be put in positions where they can make change. They need to be given the resources and tools to be to make those changes they need to be believed in, truly believed in. Um, and the fourth is celebration, because we're worthy of celebration, and it's important that people in our community know that, see that, and have the spaces to do that. And those values are really at the foundation of the work that we do with our two aims. One is to plan the city's parade and festival, and two is to uplift the work happening throughout our city this month and the rest of the year. Um, because there's so many groups, organizations, and leaders doing work, we don't need to recreate the wheel. We need to support the wheels that are already in motion. Speaking of celebration on June 10th, you threw the, the parade, the Boston Pride for the People Parade and Festival. What were some of your favorite memories from the day? Seeing everyone's joy. This morning I was on social media and I saw someone post that it was their first Pride. It was a young person and it was a bunch of young people and I just could not. It was so lovely. It was so, so lovely. So what has been my favorite part is seeing the joy, seeing everyone interact with Pride. I think there's a lot of different ways to interact with Pride and Pride activities and festivities and seeing people do that in their own way has been so beautiful. Absolutely. And um, more than just the, the celebration and the parades, there's the work that's happening at the organization. Can you tell us more about what is, what is currently being done there? So we are receiving feedback and assessing how it went so that we can plan for the future, how we can continue to um, live our mission and our values in action. So we have a debrief that's 
um, coming up where our committee members as well as our organizing committee members will be able to come together and understand how we did and what we hope to achieve in the future. We also have a community survey that we're sent that is active right now and we'll have a campaign going through the summer inviting people to share um, their insights and hopes for what pride is for them, what issues are important for them, what their access needs are at an event like Pride, what may have been missing, and what more they'd like to share with us. So we're really spending this time assessing how we've done and building the foundation for us to continue to grow as an organization and, and as Pride in Boston. Why is it important that Boston celebrate Pride? It, I'm thinking of an article that I read earlier where it named out all the political support that we received there was Mayor Michelle Wu, who has been there from the start with us for months, working with us, asking us what support we needed, being there to support us in, in other areas. We have Governor Maura Healey was there. We had Senator Ed Marquis. We had Congresswoman Ayanna Presley. The individuals in our state and in our nation that are supporting um, and advocating for policy change and supporting our work, that activity, um, different states, Different cities don't have that access. They don't have that support. They don't have that visibility. And so why Pride in Boston is so important is because they're in a time in our world where it, it's not always comfortable to be yourself. That Pride means to BIPOC queer people specifically. It, it goes even deeper in my opinion, and I, I, I want to leave space for everyone having their own definition here. So I'm sharing what my vision and my definition is, and I do believe there's possibility for all of our definitions to exist in our experience here. So why I think pride is really, really important for queer trans BIPOC folks, me being one of them, is it's, it's there's so much that as folks with our identities are holding on, so much oppression and marginalization that we experience. And pride, in my opinion, is a, um, is a tool as well as a space where people can be themselves, feel seen, and get access to different things. Mm -hmm. And our BIPOC community needs that. And different areas in our world, in our state, where that can happen is so important. Mm -hmm. And how would you like Boston Pride for the People to ultimately impact the city? I would love for Boston Pride for the People to continue to be a space where joy can be generated. It felt like on Sunday that we as a community, we as a city, experienced something that we haven't experienced in a while. And in my opinion, the joy that was felt, the community that was felt, the camaraderie, the diverse connection that was felt. I haven't felt that in Boston in a while and I'm trying to think back to what moment I can think of and I can't think of one. Mm. Um, that was so important to, to be had there and something that I'd like to see continue. And for our viewers who want to support Boston Pride for the People and get involved, how can they do so? I encourage them to visit bostonprideforthepeople.org. There are so many ways that people can get involved. Lots of work, needing many hands. Yeah. Adriana Bolin, president of Boston Pride for the People, thank you once again for being here and shedding some light on the organization. Thank you for inviting me. Happy to be here. Happy Pride. Happy Pride.
What if you could get paid as a student to learn valuable skills in the TV and film industry? Since 2020, Fresh Films has partnered with the Boston Public Schools to offer an exciting internship for high school students. Sarai Bogran and Leah Crandall of Fresh Films joined us for an inside look of the program and shared how interested teens can apply. Leah and Sarai, thank you both for joining us on Zoom today. Thank you so much for having us. Yeah. Oh, it's an absolute pleasure. Fresh Films exclusively partners with Boston Public High School students to give them valuable exposure to the film industry. Can you talk a little bit about what inspired this collaboration? Yeah, absolutely. So Fresh Films has been running film training programs for over 20 years and physically in the Boston area since 2020. And our goal as a company is to prepare teens and young adults for growing jobs in the creative economy. So that includes film, TV, news, advertising, et cetera. But they don't only exist in the entertainment industry, they are creative jobs in every industry. And the demand um, has only continued to increase, especially in the Boston area. And so by partnering with Boston Public Schools, we're not only able to engage hundreds of future storytellers in the creative and technical process of filmmaking, um, but we're also able to help build their skills and prepare them for creative jobs that are right in their backyards. And what does the typical day look like in the Fresh Films internship? What are students able to produce at the end of the five weeks? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, typical day um, looks like teens showing up, being mentored by um, industry professionals who are currently working in the Boston entertainment industry and video production um, fields. They're working with technical equipment, cameras, boom mics, all of that kind of stuff. And they're building skills as they're creating film projects. So at the end of five weeks, they'll be able to walk away with um, an unscripted documentary short film, a music video, and a narrative short film. But I think Sarai can talk a little bit more about the technical process that looks in a day-to-day -day basis. Yeah, um, when we started, um, there was a lot of group activities to not only get to know each other, um, but to help us rotate and learn how to do like each job. So for example, um, I got to learn how to use a boom pole um, and a boom mic. Um, I got to use a gimbal, which is like a heavier camera. Um, we got to learn how to do focus and how to follow um, you know, your actors around. And um, yeah, we got to use a lot of equipment. It was um, very hands-on, which I loved. And I think that's the best way for kids and everybody to learn. That's great. So you're being thrown directly into a fire, learning all of these incredible skills from professionals. And uh, so in addition to all of that excellent learning you're getting, you're also being compensated as well. Uh, can you talk a little bit about why it was important for uh, fresh films to to pay the students for the ex experience. Yeah, um, so this is uh, an internship. You know, it takes up the same amount of hours as a part-time job does, um, and not everybody can afford to do a non-paying internship. And so we don't want teens to have to choose between a part-time summer job and a creative internship experience. Um, and so thanks to YouthWorks, a grant from them, the teens now will have to pick between you know a typical high school part-time summer job versus a creative internship experience that helps you know or serves excuse me as you know a stepping stone into a potential career path for them 
That's so great. And Sarai, as a Fresh Films alum, can you talk a little bit about some of the skills that you, you learned and some of the takeaways that you have from the, the internship? Yeah, um, I did want to start off kind of mentioning like the whole paying as well. Like when I found out it was paid, I think it also helps the students take away that what you do deserves to be compensated. And, you know, this is hopefully a job that you will continue in the future. And I think learning um, what your value is of your work is really great to learn. And um, I also learned that there's a lot of documents involved in filmmaking, and there's a lot of um, resources and templates that they gave us, such as um, shooting schedules so we can stay organized, um, talent release forms, so that way um, it's legal that we have these people on camera and other documents like that. And Leah, could you talk a little bit about some of the places that uh, alums of the internship have been able to um, I guess, move into after completing this? Yeah, absolutely. So we, um, throughout our programming uh, time, so over 20 years, we have been able to place teams um, in internships with Lifetime. So college-age students get to go work on the set of Lifetime. There's an opportunity coming up um, for two different productions happening this summer, and we partnered with them last summer too. But some of our alumni have gone on to work for Netflix, Paramount, um, NBC, uh, you name it. Uh, I think one of our biggest alums is Rami Youssef, who was uh, who created the show Rami on Hulu. Um, so he was a team filmmaker with us in 2009 um, when we filmed a music video for Usher. And then he came back and was an intern when he was 18, 19, and so on. And then he was, you know, Hollywood, you know, jet set, ready to go. And now he's won awards for the show he's created. So. Oh, I love that so much. Anything is possible. And, exactly. and for um, our students who may be watching right now, how can they learn more about the Fresh Films internship and apply? When's the, the deadline? Yeah, the deadline to apply is July 7th. Um, and teens can learn more about the internship and apply at freshfilms.org forward slash Boston. That's our broadcast for tonight, Boston. Thanks for tuning in. Next week, the news team will be in New York for the 2023 Alliance for Community Media Conference. So there'll be no new broadcasts on Friday, June 30th. For BNN News, I'm Faith Amaphidon. I'll see you in July.